1: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Labor! It's 30 with Murdy, with your host, Sweeney Murdy.
0: Welcome back, everybody. hope you're all staying safe, staying home, and doing what you can to take care of yourself and your family as we wait to return to some normalcy to our lives. Whether or not there will be real baseball of some kind in 2020 is something we still aren't sure of, still waiting for the science and technology end of it to dictate where the rest of us go in this current state of the world. In the meantime, many of us in the sports world continue to get our sports fix by going back and watching classic games. Normally, I find myself too busy to dig into the treasure trove offered up on YouTube, but now with, you know, all this time on my hands, I saw that I can find dozens of old World Series games going back decades, and I fully intend to get to a number of these as we get going. But the first place I went was into a time machine back to when I was 10 years old. See, I grew up in Middletown, Pennsylvania, about a two-hour drive from Philadelphia. And in 1980, I was in fifth grade, a huge Phillies fan. I watched the Phillies win the World Series that fall, four games to two over the Royals. And wouldn't you know that about two weeks ago, I found all six games of the 1980 World Series on YouTube and sat down to watch them again. Not like a 10-year-old, obviously, but like an almost 50-year-old who's been covering baseball professionally now for the last 25 years. A lot of things stood out. The pace of the pitchers definitely, although there were times that slowed down too, with runners on base or batters stepping out. There was a mystery to the opening of this series since there was no interleague play. Phillies and Royals not only never played each other, but because free agency hadn't fully kicked in yet, most of the players had never seen each other up close, except maybe for All-Star games. Plus the fact that there was one national TV game every week and no nightly highlight shows to feature the star players throughout the league. Well, you get the idea. It was just a different time. The series was shown on NBC and the announcers are all in the Hall of Fame. Joe Garagiola and Tony Kubek are both Ford Frick Award winners. The third man in the booth... None other than Tom Seaver, who was then with the Cincinnati Reds, with no official pitch counts and, in fact, no on-screen clutter whatsoever—not even the score and inning most of the time. Seaver brought one of his teammates up to the booth, Reds pitcher Paul Moscow, and he charted pitches for Seaver. They also remarked about the radar gun and said how the pitchers throwing 90 miles per hour were throwing hard. At one point, the uh, camera actually fixed on a scout that was located—sorry, uh, a uh, gun that was from a scout. I've believe or from the stadium located somewhere in the stands as opposed to just that Every pitch flashing up on the screen for you to tell you how fast it was. This series featured Hall of Famers Mike Schmidt, Steve Carlton of the Phillies, George Brett of the Royals. And this was the same season in which Brett hit 390. Schmidt and Brett were both MVPs of the league in 1980. The Phillies team also featured Pete Rose and catcher Bob Boone, whose son Aaron is now the Yankees manager. He was a youngster uh, in the stands uh, during these games. That Phillies team had been one of the best of the late 70s, winning three straight NL East titles from 76 to 78, but losing in the playoffs each year. Once to the Big Red Machine and twice to the Dodgers, who lost both their World Series battles to the Yankees. The Royals, meanwhile, also won three straight titles from 76 to 78 and lost to the Yankees all three years. The Phillies had gained a reputation as a team that couldn't win the big one. They finished in fourth place in 1979, fired their player-friendly manager Danny Ozark, and replaced him with Dallas Green, who openly battled with many of the players, Green, a disciplinarian. After a late September rally, the Phillies won the division title over Montreal in the next-to-last game of the season. Then they won a best-of-five NLCS against Houston, a series that featured four extra inning games and is still considered one of the three or four best playoff series of all time. The Phillies beat the Royals four games to two in the World Series. It was the franchise's first world championship in their 98-year history. Their only other title came in 2008. 1980 is, without a doubt, a different era. The series is what I remember being into, especially at the baseball-crazy age of 10. I've seen many of the highlight films over the years, and the clinching sixth game has been shown as a classic, But I haven't seen all six games start to finish. I'm pretty sure I fell asleep in some of the weeknight games early in that series back in 80 because they were on school nights. Games four and five were day games on the weekend. How about that? Game six, I absolutely remember staying up for. In fact, I still have the scorecard I kept while watching in my basement back in Middletown. And then after watching this series again... I decided I wanted to talk about it some more so I called Larry Boa who was the Phillies shortstop in 1980 Boa went on to manage and coach in the majors for over 30 years, our paths have crossed many times, in fact he spent two years on the Yankees coaching staff under Joe Torre in 2006 and 2007 Boa is currently a special assistant in Philadelphia where he will forever be a member of the 1980 champs 10 year old me would have loved to have been at the 1980 World Series but if I told 10 year old me, the concept Prize to be watching it again almost 40 years later and actually having a conversation with Boa about it. I think that would be okay. So, forgive my selfishness in this podcast. I hope I made an interesting listen for you nonetheless. Here is my conversation with former Philly shortstop Larry Boa. Bo, the first thing I want to ask you is you know, you guys just finished this crazy, memorable knockdown dragout series with the Astros. It goes five games, you finish up in Houston on Sunday. And then Tuesday night, you're back in Philadelphia. There's 65,000 people at the vet. I know you're exhausted, but it's obviously the World Series. What do you remember about the environment of just getting up for game one?
2: Well, the environment's when he was off the chart. I mean, it was the vet was packed, I think 65, 66,000 people. As far as being tired, I, I got to be honest with you, the adrenaline kicked in. Once, once we beat Houston to get over, you know, we had some hurdles to climb in, in the mid-70s playing uh, the big red machine and the Dodgers and always one play here, or one play there. We couldn't get over the hump. And then finally beating Nolan Ryan after he had a big lead in game five, you know, we felt there was no pressure on us at all. We felt that uh, the pressure was off our back. We got in the world series and uh, uh, the, but the adrenaline rush was unbelievable. The, the, you know, that team never won a world series and to feel that energy, when you went out for the first, when you went out on the lines to get introduced, was was something special, and we knew that uh, game one was going to be a, a difficult game because uh, we didn't have our big guy on the mound. You know, he didn't have enough rest from that previous series, and yeah. uh, and Bob Walk had to pitch, and he did a pretty good job for us.
0: You hit on something that I think kind of gets lost sometimes. I don't remember if a, a big deal was made of it at the time or not. Maybe you could tell me, but you know, the, uh, the Red Sox had a very long drought and it was historic and it became part of their story. The Cubs had a long drought that everybody talked about. The Phillies hadn't won. It, it's 97 years. The Phillies right. are in existence going to this world series and haven't won at all. they have only been in it two other times. Right. This long drought talked about as much as in recent years, we talked about the Red Sox and the Cubs?
2: I don't think it was talked that part of it wasn't talked about but the thing that we all realized during that whole season 1980 all we heard was about the 64 Phillies how they blew that lead and we didn't know anything I I didn't know anything about the Phillies at that time you know I hadn't signed yet I knew that you know I followed baseball but I didn't know the history of how they blew that lead and everything but by the end of eighty. Before we started the playoffs, we knew every play that happened. Uh, people reliving it. Uh, don't don't pull a, uh, you know, going down the stretch. Don't pull a sixty-four on it. So we we heard that every single day. But as far as the drought, uh, once we got to the World Series, we start reading a little bit about they've never won one. But I felt that because of what we went through against the Red Machine and the Dodgers, uh, that that sort of uh, tested us a little bit and. I really felt, Sweeney, that this was our time, and 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 certain things happen that you understand that uh, in baseball when you play baseball long enough, a play here or a play there or a big hit here, uh, it, it just sort of going down the stretch there in September. We just felt it was our year. You know, we got a couple breaks and we took advantage of them, and then obviously beating Nolan Ryan was special. I think once he had a lead going in the seventh inning and he was up five to two at that time. Mm-hmm. His record was off the charts. And for us to come back and beat him, I sort of felt that everything was uh, aligned for us to go on and win the World Series.
0: When you start Game 1, and, I'm, and the thing that stuck out to me at the broadcast, I was watching the broadcast. It's an NBC uh, event, and it's uh, Joe Garagiola, Tony Kubek, and Tom Seaver. Seaver was still an active player, but he's part of the broadcast. The thing that really stuck out to me is when they're discussing Game 1 of the World Series, there's still so much mystery about the teams because interleague play wasn't a thing yet. Uh, You guys had never played any previous series like the Yankees and Dodgers had done and free agency hadn't really truly kicked in yet. So players weren't changing teams and leagues that much. Uh, You had a lot of familiar faces in Kansas city, a lot of familiar faces in Philadelphia that had only been there. You know, Pete Rose came over from the reds and all that. He was really the only one uh, major free agent that had, moved anywhere on either of those teams in recent years. What do you remember about the preparation for playing a team that, I mean, how many times could you have possibly seen Kansas city play uh, game of the week and things like that? Yeah, Maybe the playoffs in years past.
2: Yeah, that's about it. We, we watched them on, we had some video of them playing during the season and, and obviously uh, with Brett and uh, Akins and Otis, and UL, we knew they had a good team and, you know, they were sort of similar to our team. Uh the, the big thing that, that stood out in my mind is obviously the two third basemen, uh, Schmidt and Brett, uh, as we know now, two Hall of Fame players. Uh, and sort of the sort of, sort of buildup was about two great third basemen finally hooking up. But mm-hmm. uh, other than that, there it, 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 it were two teams that sort of played the same kind of baseball. We had both had good defenses, both re, you know had enough guys on the team that could steal bases. Uh, I thought our pitching did really good. We went deep into almost every game, yeah. And I think that was the big advantage. I was happened to be looking uh, about a week ago. You know, you look when you don't have anything to do, you start looking. <laughs> stuff. And I'm looking at at, at, at pitches thrown. Uh, we got some guys into the 120s, which yeah. is and, and I we didn't even think anything of that. Uh, uh, but the one thing that stands out in my mind in game one, we were down quick, four to nothing. And I remember Dennis Leonard was pitching. Yep. And I all year I had a green light. Dallas Green said you you run whenever you want. And obviously at that time it was the third inning or fourth inning. Might have been the fourth. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he put the hold on. And I'm I'm, I looked over in the dugout and you know Dallas was concentrating on the game. And I went, you know what? We were we were. I'm not going to say we were dead, but we we were we weren't really into it. It looked like yeah. Yeah, we we, we were you know, mentally, we were probably tired than than more than anything. And I just said, you know what, I think I can get a jump here. And I stole and I made it. And Booney got a big hit to, to, and we put us on the board. We ended up scoring, I think, four or five runs. Anyway, I got back to the dugout and Dallas said, did, did you see the, the hole? I said, yeah, I said, I saw it. He said, well, you know, if you got thrown out, you might as well just keep running. And I said, <laughs> and you know, the thing about it was, I thought I could steal easy off Leonard. And it was bang, bang. I mean, it was boom, boom. Uh, a great throw to second. And I happened to get my foot in. And But I remember him saying to me, he says, you know, you had the red light. And I said, yeah, I know. I said, but we, we got to try to make something happen here. He says, yeah, but you get thrown out there. That doesn't look too good. And I said, well, I didn't. And uh, so, you know, he he laughed after the series was over. He, he goes, I asked him, I said, you remember you told me about that that uh, green light, red light? And he goes, yeah. He says, uh, I'm glad you made it, though. <laughs> I said, "Me too."
0: Bo <laughs> well, Tony Kubek made a very big deal out about that stolen base. The entire rest of the series, because as you said, the Royals jumped out to this lead in Game One. You've got a rookie on the mound. You know, you're down four runs, and right. you know, uh, back then, today, right. trying to steal a base down four runs. I mean, well, nobody thinks that's a good play, but you made no. it work. And they yeah. were talking about that the whole rest of the series that that was a momentum uh,
2: changer. I know they—they they did. I—I I, I look back at that and I, I listen to it. it. Obviously, if the analytics were involved like they are now, that would have been a definite. Don't even think about running. But and, and the other thing is, if it was the sixth or seventh inning, there's no way I would have ran. I think it was the fourth inning. If mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. I think it was early. You're right. Yeah, and, and that's why I said, you know what, I, I got to try to do something here. And it wasn't a matter of, you know, saying let's let's jack this team up a little bit. I just felt I could have made it but it, I like I said it was a lot closer than I thought but and we went on to we went on to win the first two games at the vet obviously Carlton pitched in the second game and uh, he went eight innings and I think he had nine or ten strikeouts he was dominant but uh, you know th- there was always there were ebbs and flows in that whole series uh, they came up with some big hits our bench came through big in uh, in Kansas City to win the, the uh the last game there, we, we were, it, it was two to two games to two games. And in the mm-hmm. fifth game, I think Dale Hunter got a big, yeah. big hit for us. And Schmitty drove in a run. And that sort of uh, propelled us get a little momentum going back home. And I, I, there's no doubt, Sweeney, I respect the game of baseball. I've always respected the game of baseball. And I've never taken anything for granted. But when we, came, when we landed in Philly after game uh, five, I said, this thing's over. Because I knew Carlton was on full rest and i just felt that everything was on our side and uh obviously i I wasn't going to sell anybody in the media but i told all the players i said i said this thing's over man we're going to win this thing so
0: I want, to, I want to get back to some of these games individually with you. Um, series won six games. You mentioned game one. You came from behind for being down for nothing. You're still in base, lead to a run. Bake McBride had a big three-run homer uh, right. that, that brought you all the way back. And then Dell Unser with a big hit late in the game. And, uh, and you end up winning game one. You know, Bob Walk is a rookie, and he's pitching into – the eighth inning in Game One, and right. uh, you guys win the game seven six. But we right. talked about Carlton with full rest in Game Six. He was only on three days rest in Game Two, which makes makes what I, I'm about to tell you all the more incredible in today's day and age. I want to know oh, what yeah. you think about this. He threw 159 pitches, gave up ten hits and six walks. Right. You guys helped him out with three double play balls, but he right. managed on three days rest. To go that deep, throw that many pitches, and, you know, with the help of the defense, like you talked about, keep the team in the ballgame. That's it. I mean, he threw 300 innings that season, too. To ask him to do that, no manager does that. But I guess that's no. kind of what Dallas did. He liked to ride his—even I mean, even in later years, Dallas had a reputation, sometimes the worst, of riding the starters too far. But, you know, it seemed like that was the thing he really had no other intention to do with Steve Carlton in game two. Oh yeah. He, uh, you know, he was
2: going to ride Carlton. I mean, he basically every inning he, he, he didn't usually from about the sixth inning on Dallas would always go down regardless if it was during the season or playoffs, how you feeling? He didn't even come close to Carlton. It was, you yeah. know, he, it was basically uh, the fact that, 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 he was going for sure. He was going eight innings and then because McGraw pitched two innings the game before, right, which probably didn't mean anything, man, because if you look at, McGraw, as we talk about this, he was out of bullets at the end. But Ron Reed, who to me is very underrated for our team, yeah, he, he did a great job all year, and he came in and pitched the one inning. But we got big hits again from um, McBride and Schmidt. I think Keith Moreland got a couple of hits too there. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we had uh, contributions from everybody. But it stands out in my mind because Carlton was a horse. I mean, you know, we could talk about – you can look at those innings pitched and all that stuff. This guy, when he got on the mound, man, he didn't want to come out of games. Uh, he was focused, and before that series even started, you know, he was with us on those other games. What we lost with with against the Dodgers and Reds, and and we sort of after a workout, you know, he said, "This is our time, guys. You only get so many opportunities. We're going to win this series." And uh, usually, when when lefty uh, talked, it was like E.F. Hut, and everybody listened. And, uh, <laughs> When he said something like that, he was we were all ears, and he went out and he backed it up, and it was a gutty performance. The one thing, as you said, you know, when you throw that many pitches, you're, obviously your command might not be what it should have been, and uh, he he walked a few people. There's no question about that. He had deep counts. That's why the pitch count was up, but I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think that uh, we set a record for a six-game series on double plays yes. trio and Trio and, and, and myself, so we got a lot of ground balls. You know, both both uh, fields were AstroTurf turf fields, quick, real quick surfaces. And when guys squared them up and hit them at us, you know, there's a good chance you're going to make a double play.
0: A couple more things about the first two games in Philly that I want to ask you about. You faced Dennis Leonard in Game 1, Larry Gurr in Game 2. Quisenberry came out of the bullpen for Game 2. Now, Leonard and Gurr had been around for a while, but as we talked about, you guys never saw each other. Quisenberry uh, had only come up, I think, the year before. Uh, and he was a, a dominant reliever in the American League. But what was scouting like going into? That? I mean, nowadays well, you know guys prepare for their at bats. They have every they have hundreds and thousands of pitches they can look at on video. What right. were you guys doing to get ready?
2: Well, we we basically compared Quisenberry with uh, Gene Garber on okay. our team, and you know basically submarine type pitchers, not overpowering but great sink on the ball, make them get the ball up in the zone. Dennis Leonard at that time was more of a power pitcher. Uh, Gura was uh, a typical left-hander that made you if – you, if you got really impatient up there, you hit a lot of ground balls to short and third. You couldn't pull him. I'm, you know, these meetings were, hey, don't try to pull this guy. A Randy Jones-type pitcher in Gura. Wow. you know, make him stay in the middle of the field. So we, we had pitchers that we sort of compared uh, the Kansas City staff to uh, that we faced maybe during the course of the season. And it made it a little bit easier, but sometimes, you know, you look back on that sometimes, especially now, you know, I I listen to all the information some of our hitters have. I think sometimes it's overkill and they go up, there looking for too much. And instead of see ball hit ball, you know, they say, well, this is what the analytics said. This guy's going to throw this pitch when it counts two and O sometimes you just got to use your, your instincts and react to the pitches. And I think that's what was good for us. You know, we, uh, we, we were a pretty good baseball team. We could, we could steal bases. We could hit home runs. We could hit for average, we had a good defense and our pitching was pretty good. So, uh, no, nope, nothing really caught us off guard. Uh, I think Willie Mays Aiken, uh, during that series, he got hot there. Yeah. He, uh, he, we, we thought we had a way to pitch to him, but obviously it didn't work. Uh, Because he he hurt us there a few games.
0: He had two homers in game one. He had two homers in game four. Uh, And Amos Otis had tremendous series. Really hurt you guys. One of the funny things that stuck out to me that I didn't remember, I want to know what you remember about this, but Willie Aikens had an issue with the home plate umpire the entire series about where his back foot was. And at one point in game two, Bill Kunkel is the home plate umpire. He actually pulls a tape measure out of his pocket and shows Akins where he's allowed to stand, how far back he's allowed to go. And it's his constant back and forth. Um, I think maybe three or four different times during the
2: series between Aikens and the home plate umpire. Do you remember any of that? I remember two guys in that lineup that were causing a lot of problems with, because our pitchers, for the most part, they got the ball and threw it and they didn't like waiting. And I know Amos Otis was one guy that would step out all the time and uh, he he would stay way back in the box, but Aikens was really far back in the box. And they, th- there was an issue with that. And Dallas even said before the series, uh, you know, when you meet at home places, I just want you guys to watch. He's, Cause we watched video of these guys when they hit uh, as far as where they stood in the box and everything. And they were both really deep in the box, but Aikens looked like, a few times, I, I don't remember them measuring, but I do remember a little bit of the back and forth between the two sides about getting in the box and that. The uh, the series goes to
0: Kansas City. You guys finally get a little bit of a rest day, uh, right. and then you go to Game Three. It's a Friday night. Um, I, yeah, that was something- an extra inning game, I think. Yes, Kansas City finally won, and they they got on the board there. They won on a walk off in the tenth. Right. There was a play, and I'm forgetting now, I forgot to write down what inning it is. I want to hear what you take about I told you earlier about the, you know, Seaver had made a point earlier in the series um, saying how you, you had a good arm, but it wasn't as strong as it used to be, so he's kind of right. knocking you down a peg. But there right. was a ball hit late in game three that was right at you, a hard smash, and yeah, ended it was. up going off your right, you know, over your right shoulder into the outfield. Yep. It was a big play at the time, and they were kind of debating, you know, hey, could you have gotten in front of it? Did you play it right? Did you play it wrong? What do you remember about that one?
2: I, I, I personally, I think I should have caught the ball. Yeah, I, I know, I know when I when I don't, if I get an error and and I I usually I, I fess up to it. I don't try to change anything. I saw that they gave. I think they gave the guy a hit on it. Yeah. And but it it in my opinion, I have to make that play. There's no doubt in my mind. And I'm trying to think who hit it. it he did square it up. There's no question about that. Uh, and I want to say, I think was it was it McCray. Off? It might have been Hal McCray. It might. I can't remember been if
0: McCray. Mistake. I should have written down who it was, but um.
2: It might have been McCray, but I remember the play. Yeah. I I, I, I got to catch that ball, even though the turf was was quick and and he did square it up. Uh, the ball, it didn't fool me, but it got to me a little bit quicker than I thought. And, uh, you know, push coming to shove, I probably could have jumped in front and not knocked it down. I tried to catch it and, uh, but it, it should have been caught. No question about that.
0: There's another part of that game three that, you know, blew me away watching it now, you know, knowing how, you know, we you know, everybody measures the game a certain way now. Mike Schmidt is one of the greatest power hitters we've ever seen, right? Tried to bunt. Yes. He tried to and, bunt. In the eighth inning of a tie game yep. with the go-ahead run at third base and two outs.
2: Yep. He tried I to that. bunt. Oh, and we he got buried for that, too, trust me. <laughs> in, in, a, in a good way. I mean, nobody's – I mean, what are you doing? I mean, <laughs> uh, it, it, one of the most prolific power hitters in baseball at that time and still to this day. And he saw the guy way back. And I want to think, if if was Quisenberry pitching at the time, eighth inning, I, I, yes, Quisenberry was pitching. And, but, and I know that Schmitty and Bull had trouble with those submarine guys. Yeah, and and then uh, uh, what happened was though, if if I remember right, I don't know if it was that game or not, but Schmitty ended up hitting a ball off of Brett. Whether it was because he he yeah later in bun- the series he did that right, but he he there was a couple bun- of times. But the, yeah, that one time, of the things no, the announcers not, said was that right.
0: because Brett had been battling hemorrhoids, he wasn't right. moving very well, and it, he was playing, and he was playing back. back.
2: He was yeah. playing way back. Yeah, but I, but the thing that I remember because Schmidty brought it up to me, going out there, and uh, when he did get the hit off Brett, he said, "See that fake bunt." He said, have paid off, didn't <laughs> it? No. I said, "Only you, Mike. Only you." Mike. No
0: kidding. If he rips one into the gap in the eighth inning, you guys. Oh, I know. Three game's games to over. No
2: question. Or if he hits a home run, the game's over.
0: Oh, so. and he bunted for a hit the next day. When now that one was a little less egregious because you guys were already down four nothing.
2: Right. He uh, tried to get on base. Yeah, yeah. So he did that a few times. Well, if we're down three or four runs and he was leading off or there was a man on, he would do that. He was a good. He handled the bat good, but. uh that play that you're talking about, we all were sitting in the dugout, scratching our heads, saying, really? So.
0: Yeah, I thought the same thing. I'm thinking, boy, I hope he got killed for it in
2: 1980, the same oh, way yeah, we he went oh, in 2020. We got, yeah. The fact that we won, we were able to get on him. But at that time, you know, it wasn't a real good play. Yeah. Dallas Green, really, he was like, what? You know.
0: Yeah, he was flipping out about that, too? Oh,
2: yeah, big time.
0: Ooh, he – um, yeah. Now, I didn't remember this, probably because I was too young to really understand this dynamic of it, but the players and Dallas Green, that was not a a, a fun relationship.
2: Well, the big thing there, I I thought Dallas was the right guy at that time. Danny Ozark, to me, did a great job to handle our ball club. We, We had different personalities, and he basically let us play. He just said, go play. You know, we had a good, talented team, and we just couldn't get over the hump. And so Dallas came in and and you talk about two different personalities. His was completely different than, than Danny's and it caught a few guys off, off, you know, off guard. I mean, he comes in and he starts screaming and hollering and said, you guys aren't as good as you think you are. You've been reading too many press clippings. It's time for you to put up or you know, you know, Dallas and that's, but, but to me, we needed that. We needed someone, even though a a couple of times I didn't like it at all. You know, I didn't like it as a player. I was, I was. A, we had a veteran team at that time, and we knew what we had to do to win and for him to come in and start berating everybody. But he did it because you know, he wanted to light a fire under us, and it basically it worked. And I look back on that. I don't know if we won a World Series without Dallas. I, I really don't. That's how much he meant.
0: You get to Game 4, and this is where the Royals even the series. It's a day game in Kansas City. And the thing that really sticks out about that game, it's kind of a turning point. Is now they won the game, but they're up five to one, and Dicky right. Knowles comes in and he leveled George Brett on I a mean, pitch, it, it knocked was, him down, was, and the whole
2: series changed right there. There's no doubt in my mind that was the big pitch that, if you want to say, turned everything around. It, it got everybody excited on our team. I mean, it was a good one too. I mean, I don't like seeing anybody get thrown at in the head. You know, you want to hit somebody. This was right at his head. Yeah, and uh, it, it might have been one of the better. You know, when a right-hander throws at a left-hander's head, that is very obvious, you know. Mm-hmm. If a left-hander did it to a left-hander, you say, oh, it got away from him or right. But when a right-hander comes all the way across and throws it at a left-hander's head, that was that was something. Then Jim Fry comes out screaming, and yep. Pete Rose is screaming at Jim Fry, get back in the dugout, you don't know what you're talking about, we ain't knocking him down. And if I remember right, they jumped out on us big time. Yeah. Larry Christensen didn't have anything. He yeah. gave up. Five runs quick. Yep. And our bullpen did a great job. I think Dickie Knowles and Kevin Sochet and I think Warren Brewster. Yes. They came in and they didn't give up a run. I mean, or if they did, it might have been one run. But uh, uh I think Aikens got a big hit again. I th- it might have been a, th- uh, I think yeah, it was a home he run. He hit a home run off Knowles. Of yeah, Christian. That was play. the only one. Yep. Yeah, it was a bomb, too. And, Which,
0: uh, but why was throwing at Brett, like, wh- what happened there? There wasn't. A- uh, you know, it, uh, was there bad blood? Were people talking about stuff? Well, was something it was, happened it, it on the had, field?
2: I think it had a lot to do with all those hitters stepping out, standing in the batter's box. And Dickie Knowles at that time, Dicky Knowles has turned out to be one super human being now. He turned his life completely around. Yeah. But at that time, he was a little goofy. And <laughs> he didn't like these guys stepping out. And he says, you know, this is bullshit. I remember, you know, this is, a, you know, get in there and hit. Yeah. I, we're not just play the game? And I guess he took it into his own hands to get their best player. And I mean, it was a good one. I thought maybe he might have done it to Otis or or Aikens because they've been wearing us out. But yeah. he, he did it to George Brett. And uh, uh, to this day, George says it was he saw his life flash before yeah. his eyes, you know, so.
0: So you've now watched these guys play for four, for four games, and that's the year that Brett came really close, a couple of hits away from hitting 400 for the year. He finishes at three ninety right. 90s, the MVP of the American League. He mentions right. the MVP of the National League. But as we talked about, you don't get a lot of chances to watch these guys play. No. Um, and not even on TV. You're not watching right. these guys back in 1980s. So as you're watching George Brett play the first four games of that series, you know what his reputation is, and now you watch yeah. him hit. What do you think? Right.
2: I thought he was a- – I, I knew he was a great hitter. I didn't realize that he was that good a hitter. Uh, he had a tremendous eye, didn't swing at a lot of bad pitches, uh, controlled the strike zone, and when he got in a hitter's count, he, he hurt the baseball. Uh, it was tough to defend him. You know, if he was playing now, there's no way you could put a shift on George Brett. He hit the ball where it was pitched. He could drive the ball to left center. He could hit the ball at the ballpark. He was a gap-to-gap hitter. With great bat speed, and uh, you know he, he was every time you see him, seeing him come up, you, you held your breath. He was that good a hitter, and uh, we knew that going in. But I didn't realize he was that good a hitter. I mean, he he impressed the heck out of me.
0: I'm also curious what you think about Hal McCray. Now I know he was in the National League when you first came up playing with the Reds, but he's been with the. Uh, Royals for a long time. heading into this series, and I've seen you know, all these old highlights of Willie Randolph. I talked to Willie Randolph a bunch about uh, how McCray used to barrel into him at second base. Oh,
2: and we had the we had the report. Yeah. You know.
0: So and I it seemed it came up a couple. He was on base a lot, so yeah, you could tell. I think I don't think you it happened to you, but it happened to Manny Trio, where he kind of quick got out of the way because you knew what Hal McCray could do if he came barreling into you.
2: Right. I mean, we were told before the series even started, Manny and myself. You guys better get rid of the ball because this guy doesn't like to slide. And when he does slide, he slides real late. It's sort of like he rolls into second base. And we would talk about that the whole series. If he was on first, hey, give me the ball quick, give it to me quick. I mean, his reputation was not only was he a good hitter, but he was one of those guys that tried to hurt you at second. And I don't mean hurt in a way. He tried to break up a double play Mm -hmm. to get that guy at first, but keep that guy at first base. And at that time, there was no body length or anything like that. I try to tell guys now when they're playing, you guys have no clue about what it was like <laughs> when, the, when those guys came in the second. Yeah. And that's why, as an infielder, we used to get the the, uh, the neighborhood play. You nice. didn't have to stay on the back. The umpires would say, hey, just get close, because they knew exactly what runners were trying to do. So we got by with some neighborhood plays, which you can't do now. But on the other hand, these guys can't come after you like they do, did back then.
0: Well, everybody was sliding. You know, I mean, Chase Utley is is why the rules are where they are right now. But you watch right. everybody slide on both teams back then. And you're right. aiming for the player. It doesn't matter if you can reach the base well, or not. You,
2: they could care less if they're going to the back. If it's a, a double play, they're going to try to knock you into left field. And that was just the way. And it wasn't just Kansas City. That's how you were taught to play. and that's So it wasn't anything different for us because – we got it all season all the time. You know, it, no matter who we played in the National League, that's how they played the game. Bill Matlock he was with the Pirates and mm-hmm. Cubs. He would try to go down there and knock you into left field. And it was it was almost like it's not a big deal. That's how you're supposed to do it. And now, if that happened now, man, the guy might get suspended for a week.
0: You know, I just remembered that another thing they mentioned early in that series, I think Seaver brought this up, or Kubek. I forget. They said late in the season, Dave Parker came into you and you were still dealing with some shoulder soreness or something like that because of uh,
2: one of those incidents. Do you remember that? I do know that he, he, he hit me pretty good. Uh, it, the only thing I remember about Pittsburgh, Swain, it didn't matter where we played or when we played, it seemed like there was always a bench clearing for all. <laughs> yeah. Whether it be a hitter, whether it would be a guy knocking a guy up down at second base, uh, it didn't matter. And, and you know, back then, Guys, if if your shortstop or second baseman got hit and the pitchers thought it was a bad slide, they would take matters into their own hands Mm -hmm. and, you know, and that let the the guy know this is not what you're supposed to do. But, yeah, Dave Parker used to come in really hard. And, uh, you know, that was – but, again, we didn't really complain about that stuff. That was just – that was the way the game was played then. And I'm glad we played like that. I mean, I I don't know if I'd like to play right now with (laughs) these rules. You can't hit the catcher. You keep you make sure you go straight into the bag. Uh, I, I just, I don't know. I think it you're takes away, away some of your instincts. I would think uh, it takes your instincts away and it takes your aggressiveness away. I mean, if you've got a guy at first and third, like you know, I'm gonna bring up Utley, yeah, that was a, that was a, a a big play because if he breaks up the double play, the guy at third scores, and it was a big run. Right. And he did exactly that. And and to me, was it in that era was it a bad play as far as dirty? I see. I never thought it was a dirty play. I thought the shortstop. First of all, I don't think it was a double play ball. And once right. that shortstop turned his back yes. to the runner, he's got to try to get an out and get out of there. Right. But, you know, obviously the way it looked and what happened to uh, the second baseman, it didn't come across too good. But they got the run, and at that time it was a big run.
0: All right, so I want to move to Game 5. and The funniest thing to me about Game 5 is watching all the American League hitters react to Dutch Rennert for the very first time. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. I remember, you know, the games, watching the games and listening to games on the radio. You could hear Dutch Renner barking out the strikes uh, yep. from wherever you were in the ballpark. But I'm watching the very first uh, time through the order. Willie Wilson, George Brett, they get called strike one. And Dutch Renner, legendary home plate umpire, screams out, strike one. Oh, yeah. And yep. everybody can hear, but these hitters have never seen him before. So right. their reactions were hysterical to me.
2: I know it. It, it. Dutch, to me, was one of the better umpires in baseball. I mean, he had a great strike zone. Uh, and as you said, there was no hesitation. If it was a strike, you heard about it. Uh, if you never heard him umpire, it, I could understand them getting uh, their the expressions on their faces and everything, saying, wow, where'd this guy come from? <laughs> he was he was a very good umpire. And uh, we were used to that. Obviously, we saw him all year. But the first time I ever faced, uh, remember him behind home plate, Caught me way off guard. I yeah. went, wow. You know, I thought he was trying to just say, hey, that's for striking, but that's how he called the game. So,
0: well, even the rest of the umpires in that series, they really enjoy the theatrics of ringing a guy up, whether it was strike three or an out on the bases. I mean, that's, uh, you know, it's, you don't see anybody do that today.
2: No, no, they don't. And you, you I guess they're, they're used to a lot of strikeouts now, so they can't <laughs> <laughs> tire them out, right?
0: Eh? Wow.
2: Yeah. I do and you, remember that, you know, the, the big thing about that game. If I remember right, McGraw threw three innings in relief. Unbelievable! I mean, he was on—he was on fumes. Believe me, he'd be behind hitters, which he normally didn't do, but he was out of gas, and we—we we rode him hard. But uh, and again, Unser got a big hit. Schmidt got a big hit, uh, and we won that game uh, four to three. I think we we came from behind and got two runs in the ninth inning. We were yep. down. Yes. you know that was a huge game. If we lose that game, there. I don't know, man. The momentum obviously goes the other way there. They, they sweep us in Kansas City. But to come back and win that game was huge for us. And you're talking about being uh,
0: in fumes. He's in his third inning and he's loaded the bases. Right. It's a one run ball game. So he's loaded the He pitches around basically Amos Otis, who's up with two men on base. He basically intentionally walks him. And right. now you've got the winning run is at second base. He's got nothing left and nothing. he's facing Jose Cardinal. I mean. He yeah. didn't.
2: He hit. I think he hit a foul ball. He crushed it. Yes, if very I'm first not pitch. Mistaken. I think. Yep. Yep. Down the left field line because yes. it, it was like a mediocre fastball, and I went, "Uh oh," because when, when he swung, he was Cardinal could hit a fastball, and I went, "Oh no!" and and it was foul. But uh, yeah, he didn't. He didn't have too much at the end there.
0: And it was weird. There's this little cat and mouse games. I think there were two strikes, and Boone goes out to the mound, and they're kind of you know tinkering around a little bit and then they go back and then it's strike three to Cardinal to, uh, to win the game. But I mean, right. he just didn't seem, uh, even like Tug, everybody in the ballpark seemed to know that there wasn't much. No, there wasn't. The tank at that point. And
2: Booney, Booney had a knack of being able to slow it down a little bit. Booney would know if he, he was short and he knew the holes. He, I remember on the airplane, he said, I man, Tug short, man, he's mm-hmm. short. And every time he would call timeout to go to the mound, I know he's giving him a blow and pumping him up saying, Hey, you got, don't, don't give up on the fastball. Cause he's having trouble with his screwball getting it over. And, uh, but it was like, he says, I got nothing, man. He was throwing balls down the middle of the plate, but you know, he took the ball and, uh, and again, if I'm not mistaken in game six, I think he pitched multiple innings again. I think he pitched two innings in he game did. six. Yep. And, and again, that was, load. that was the game. The big, the big play was the pop up that, uh, Booney and, and Pete went over by the dugout. That yeah,
0: was what that do you remember was... seeing when when you were watching it? Where were you? Were You standing just right in your position? Were yeah, you I, was saying, I thought it was
2: I thought it was out of play to be honest with you. And then I looked up again, and I the, you know everyone talks about Pete making a great play reaction, but if you look at that, Booney ran a long way for that. Yeah, and he was almost to the first base side the dugouts were real long. He was, I guarantee he was closer to first than he was home when he stuck his glove out and it came off and Pete obviously was right there and, and caught it. And that when, when that happened, there was a bunch of things, but when that happened, I went, we're not losing this. There's no way. <laughs> and then, you know, then they, they threatened again in the ninth in that game. And the horses came out on the field and uh, you know, there was a lull in the action and, and there's men on base. And I'm sitting there going, Oh my God. Because I remember playing in my backyard, not saying I was the Phillies, but I would say there's a ground ball, hit the boy, he picks it up, throws the first, and they win the World Series. And I used to say, hit me the ball, hit me the ball. And yeah. that, at that particular time, I went, I don't know if I want this ball hit at me. <laughs> <laughs> because there was a long delay. It seemed like an hour, but I know it wasn't. But yeah. the, the horses came on. They didn't want anybody rushing the field and everything. And then uh, Tug eventually, Willie Wilson, to me, if he has the kind of series he's supposed to have, that that series could be completely reversed. Yeah, but he was he was in one of those funks and he was missing pitches right down the middle, and Tug ended up striking him out. Like the fastball was right yeah. there, I mean right there, and he swung right through it. And I think he got two hundred thirty plus hits that year. He did. Yeah, during the, he was crushing balls, and then during the World Series, he he couldn't buy a hit.
0: Right. He, uh, I think he struck out twelve times in the series. Oh, I know. Yeah,
2: and and there were balls down the middle of the play. He was getting pitchers to hit.
0: So one of the things that um, that they say, you guys are like three outs away from winning, and Tony Kubek is talking about the relationship again between Dallas Green and the players, and he mentions you had a radio show. And he said, even just the week before the World Series, you were blasting Dallas Green, or late in the season, you were blasting Dallas Green as this was coming down to the wire. Now, what are the details about this show that you did? And do you remember what you well, were I saying? Well, I remember
2: doing the show, and I remember the reason it was uh, – that I, I don't know if I blasted him. I, I said some things. You know, Gary Maddox and Lazinski were our uh, – basically our left fielder and center fielder all year. Mm-hmm. And so Dallas – he had a way of getting these guys attention and literally he would take them out. He, he had Lonnie Smith playing center field. He had Keith Moreland playing left field and I'll take my hat off to both those guys. They came up big when they got a the chance to play. And I think the question, it was a question from a, from a listener saying, what about Dallas not playing Lazinski and Maddox during the course towards the end of the year? And then I said something. I can't believe he did that uh, without those two guys in the lineup we probably don't even get to the world series or playoffs. And so obviously that was blown out big time, Mm -hmm. but I I don't think anything else about, I like the way Dallas, his intensity. And I thought he got our attention at the right time when he was supposed to. And uh, as I told you earlier in in this podcast, I don't think we won the world series without Dallas as a manager.
0: Schmidt gets named the MVP, but a lot of guys had big series that you could make the case for. Um, You and Boone in particular played very well defensively, but you guys, you know, you hit three seventy-five. Boone hit over four hundred. Tuck McGraw only gave up one run and gone on fumes and pitching as many innings as he did. Uh, There were a lot of guys who could have made that case for MVP.
2: I I, I, I remember Frank Dolson, who was one of the the writers here in Philadelphia at the Mm -hmm. time, and he told me that up until Schmidt's last hit, he says the, the votes that he thought were posted is that I was going to win MVP. Wow. And Schmidt got a big hit. He got yes. a double, a big double. And, uh, you know, I, I, that was really – I mean, that would have been nice, but that was the least of my worries. I was just glad that we were able to finally win a World Series because before that season started in 80, Ruley Carpenter, who I think was one of the best owners I have ever been around, uh, told us basically, hey guys, you got to do it this year. I'm gonna have to break up this team mm. because and, you know. And he was he was honest about it. He loved everybody in that clubhouse, but he says we need to get over this hump. So we were playing for a mission basically the whole year that we knew that if we didn't get to the World Series anyway, I'm not saying he told us to win it. He said you need to get to the World Series, and uh, and we we were. But you know, eventually they took they they tore the team up a little bit. But uh, the fact that from seventy five on it was a real good baseball team. in fact mm-hmm. they 're doing a uh, a simulated thing right now with the o eight team and eighty team and right now they've played three games and we 're up two games to one so i'm i <laughs> 'm anxious to see how that turns out. You know, the one thing I was disappointed at as I was watching the end of this, I was watching
0: the celebration, and they show all the clubhouse interviews with Brian Gumbel, who's doing this, uh, the podium ceremony and handing the trophy over. You're you're the first guy they interview coming in, and they get a bunch of everybody else. But the thing I remember, and I've seen the quotes, and I re- I vividly remember watching you out of your mind saying, we're the best baseball team in the United States of America. Nobody yep. else can say that. But yep. that is not in the interview that you give Brian Gumbel right after you come into the clubhouse it's some other time later and i haven't seen it since you i mean but you remember doing that
2: i do remember doing that and i remember the other part of that interview was because all year our writers at that time we had you know back then the writers were different it's not like now i mean they took shots at us and we weren't we weren't the easiest guys to get along with I'm, (laughs) i'm gonna be honest with you we all had different personalities there were times you could talk to us, you know, sometimes nobody wanted to talk, but we always stood up and I said, everyone's, I remember saying, no one thought we could win sports writers thought this team was overrated. I remember going into a tirade that way, mm-hmm. uh, but it wasn't on that. The one that you saw is the one that they showed, mm-hmm. you know, we're the best team and night, you know, but I do remember saying that because we were, we were, there was a time in September where we, we hit a little lull and things weren't going our way. And, uh, of course all the the press, they got on that real quick and start saying, this team's never going to win. Uh, they think they're better than they are. And then I think Dallas got a lot of that stuff too. And that's why I aired us out a bunch of times, but, uh, yeah, it it was looking back on it. It was a lot of fun. It was, it was a team that, that it was, it was a pretty close knit team. You know, we had our we had different personalities, but, uh, uh, it, it was, it was a team. You know, Bull and Schmidt were basically low key guys that did damage, and me and Pete and uh, and uh, Bake McBride would be, and Manny Trio would be the instigators. Gary Maddox was pretty low key. Booney was even keel, but we had we had the right mix. It seemed like.
0: Do you, um, do you know if you still hold the record? You They, they made a point for, of it as soon as you started your seventh double play. You broke a record that Phil Rizzuto held in 51 for most right. double plays started by a shortstop. Do you know if you still hold
2: that? I, I think it is in six games. I don't know okay. if it's, you know, I, I'm not positive, though. No. I'm not
0: positive. So um, do you find yourself looking back on these things every once in oh, a while? That,
2: now I do because yeah. there's, they show, especially here in Philly, they show a lot of that stuff. And, you know, some, some of it you sort of forget, like, the, the series the, the series that people don't, they really forget about is we had to go into Montreal and win two out of three yes. to get, and I'll never forget this. They had first base open, and Mike Schmidt was the hitter. We had taken out our catcher, Booney, and Don McCormick. We made a double switch or something, yep. and Don McCormick was on deck, and Dick Williams was Stan Bonson on the mound. Pitched to Schmidty and he hit a home run and I'm going, oh, you got to be kidding me, because when Schmidty jumped up there with first base open, I went, there's no way they're pitching to the Schmidty here. We were down and uh, and they pitched to Schmidty and he hit a two run homer, one by a run. But Don McCormick, who might have had maybe 20 at bats the whole year, yeah, and and Dick Williams, who I thought was a real good manager. I still to this day can't believe that they pitched to Schmitty, but we had to win that that series, and we won two get two out of three there in Montreal to get to play the Houston Astros.
0: I remember that game. There was a there was a long rain delay. I think in the middle oh my of that god, game, it was right?
2: pouring. Yeah, it was that turf was. I've never played. You know, I've I've been on turfs before, but that turf was as wet as I've ever seen. When they hit a ground ball, it would have a tail on it because they got the tarp on real late. It poured. And it was, it was hard to play defense there, but, uh, it was, it was a bad rainstorm there.
0: I also remember Manny trio dropping a pop-up somewhere in the middle yep. of that game.
2: That was, there was yeah. some weird stuff in that series and Manny never dropped pop-ups. Exactly. He used to love pop-ups, but exactly. it was weird stuff. I think Larry Christensen was pitching that game too. So,
0: so. um, I, I want to, uh, leave with this, um, I don't know if the ceremony is going to happen this year because everything we're going through. But Derek Jeter is going into the Hall of Fame. He was elected to the Hall of Fame. Right. And I know you got to spend a couple of years. You've been around a lot of great players, played right. with them, managed them, coached them. Right. But I remember you had a uh, you, you had a certain view on Jeter as you know the two years that you coached with the Yankees and worked with the infielders, and right. he was already a superstar that by that point. But yep. getting to see him up close every day for two years, I know it kind of changed your, your view on him. What, do you, what are your thoughts on him as, as he goes into the Hall of Fame this year?
2: Well, first of all, I knew he was a great player. I mean, just by watching. But to watch him play every day, day in and day out, very seldom. I can't remember mental mistakes this guy ever made. Uh, he was always in the right right place at the right time. I think the biggest thing with Jeet is he always wanted to be hitting with the game on the line. It didn't matter, and if he didn't come through on a Monday night, he wanted to be up there on a Tuesday night. And, and I asked him, I said, man, how do you keep coming up with big hit after big hit? He goes, you know, I know that this this is a game of failure, and you're going to fail. You're going to fail. He says, but I love those situations, and I know pitchers don't like facing me because my reputation is, I'm going to get a hit. And But to watch him make routine plays and run the bases and just his preparation – prior to game it was the same every single day his bp was first two rounds he did everything to right field then he pulled some balls his routine in the field was he take ground balls with the infield in then he go back and you hit him right you hit him left but he never he never altered his his pregame ever and uh he was just a professional and to play in new york under that those the spotlight there and never get in any kind of trouble Uh, I mean, I got to take my hat off to a guy like that. He was single playing there, uh, a very popular individual, and just played the game the way you're supposed to play it. And uh, I was just shocked that it wasn't a unanimous thing. I I don't know who who didn't vote for him, but... You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, it really doesn't matter. But he's—you were
0: a pretty good shortstop back in the then. By the time you saw him up close, he had been taking some hits for his range and things like that. What did you think of him defensively at the time you saw I,
2: him? I thought he was a good player defensively. I thought what he lacked for in range, he made for a, made up for in knowledge. He always we we went over how to play hitters, and he was he he knew where to play. I mean, it, it, you know, if they had all this analytic stuff. As deep as it is now, he probably could have played a few more years because they they basically position you now. Hey, this is where you're supposed mm-hmm. to stand. But he he was always – what he lacked in range at the end, he made up for in knowledge. And uh, he was just a great player, and it's a great honor for him to go into this thing. Bo, it was a treat for me watching
0: these games again because I hadn't watched – other than some highlight films every once in a while, I hadn't seen him in 40 years, and I know you lived it. So thanks for uh, letting me bother you about it all over the years and again uh- right now.
2: All right, Sweeney, my pleasure. And uh, stay safe. And hopefully, we see you somewhere. I, I guess some of the stuff says that. Uh, I mean, I I don't believe everything, but they said they might break it up into Florida and uh, and uh, Arizona. And then if they it was Florida, yeah, I guess the Yankees and us would be in the same uh, same division. And uh, wouldn't that be know. something, huh? I, yeah, that would be. But I tell you what, the Yankees and Phillies, they got three patsies in that division. Yeah, You know, I mean, there's three teams that are Detroit's rebuild and Pittsburgh's not that good. Uh, Toronto's got some good young players, but they lack experience. So it's probably going to be, if it did, if it did go that way, it would probably be between the Yankees and the uh, the Phillies.
0: Hey, listen, it just struck me and I should ask you about this before we leave. Um, you know, I know there wasn't a whole lot of time to observe them, but Joe Girardi, Didi Gregorius, guys that we know well in New York, you got to see them a little bit uh, up close I, uh, in spring training. What'd you think?
2: I love both of them. Joe's going to be hes perfect match here. Uh, very knowledgeable, and I think he he takes the analytics, but he also goes with his gut and his experience and obviously being successful in New York. He'll be successful here. D.D. Gregorius I really like. I mean, he, he might have got one or two hits the whole spring, but this guy's personality and his energy, and he can play shortstop, and he's going to hit. Believe me, he's going to hit. I was just shocked after watching him. This way he goes about his business. They didn't have more. I I know he got hurt and and he had uh, Tommy John, but I was shocked they didn't have more offers on the table because I think this guy, he's going to add a lot if we're if we're able to play. He's going to add a lot to our lineup. I really like this kid.
0: My thanks again to Larry Boa. His insights are terrific, and I'm glad I wasn't the only one who was floored watching a man who was once seventh on the all-time home run list bunt in the eighth inning of a World Series game with the go-ahead run at third base and two outs. I don't know when we'll get back to real baseball, people, I really don't, but until then, I'm pretty sure I will head back to some of these games on YouTube that I haven't seen in a while or perhaps never seen. And maybe we'll do this again here and go over the games with someone who was actually there. If you're new here, please check out the 30 with Murdy archive on radio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. A lot of fun conversations in sports and entertainment. And you can also check out my weekly chats with Ed Coleman, where we discuss Mets, Yankees, general baseball, news and views, other random thoughts from our quarantine. And that's available on the WFAN Audio On Demand page. You can always find links to all this stuff on my Twitter page, at Yankees WFAN. Everyone remember, keep doing your part to flatten the curve. Stay home, go wash your hands again right now. In fact, stay safe. And until next time, I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thank you for listening.